Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 18. Things had gone on in this way for several weeks. If Gibby had not been such a small creature, I hardly see how they could for so long. When one morning the men came in to breakfast, all out of t- temper together, complaining loudly of the person unknown who would persist in interfering with their work, they were the louder that their suspicions fluttered about Fergus, who was rather overbearing with them, and therefore not a favorite. He was in reality not at all a likely person to bend back or defile hands over such labor, and their pitching upon him for the object of their suspicion showed how much at a loss they were. Their only ground for suspecting him, beyond the fact that there was no other whom, by any balance of imagination, they could suspect, was that whatever else was done or left undone in the stable, Snowball, whom Fergus was fond of and rode almost every day, was, as already mentioned, sure to have something done for him. Had he been in good odor with them, they would have thought no harm of most of the things they thought he did, especially as they eased their work. But he carried himself high, they said, doing nothing but ride over the farm and pick out every fault he could find to show how sharp he was, and look as if he could do better than any of them. And they fancied that he carried their evil report to his father, and that this underhand work in the stable must be part of some sly scheme for bringing them into disgrace. And now, at last, had come the worst thing of all. Gibby had discovered the corn bin, and having no notion but that everything in the stable was for the delectation of the horses, had been feeding them largely with oats, a delicacy with which, in the plenty of other provisions, they were very sparingly supplied. And the consequences had begun to show themselves in the increased unruliness of the most wayward amongst them. Gibby had long given up resorting to the ceiling, and remained in utter ignorance of the storm that was brewing. Because of him, the same day brought things nearly to a crisis for the overfed snowball, proving too much for Fergus's horsemanship, came rushing home at a fierce gallop without him, having indeed left him in a ditch by the roadside. The remark thereupon, made by the man in his hearing, that it was his own fault, led him to ask questions. When he came gradually to know what they attributed to him, and was indignant at the imputation of such an employment of his mornings to one who had his studies to attend to, scarcely a wise line of defense where the truth would have been more credible as well as convincing, namely, that at the time when those works of supererogation could alone be effected, he lay as lost as a creature as ever. Sleep could have make a man, make of a man. In the evening, Jean sought a word with Donald, and expressed her surprise that he should be able to do everybody's work about the place, warning him it would be said he did it at the expense of his own. But what could he mean, she said? By wasting the good corn to put devilry into the horses? Donald stared in utter bewilderment. 
he knew perfectly that to the men suspicion of him was as impossible as of one of themselves. Did he not sleep in the same chamber with them? Could it be allusion to the way he spent his time when out with the cattle that Mistress Jean intended? He was so confused, looked so guilty as well as astray, and answered so far from any point in Jean's mind, that she at last became altogether bewildered also, out of which chaos of common void gradually dawned on her mind the conviction that she had been wasting both thanks and material recognition of service, where she was under no obligation. Her first feeling thereupon was, not unnaturally, however, unreasonably, one of resentment, as if Donal, in not doing her kindness her fancy had been attributing to him, had all the time been doing her an injury. But the boy's honest bearing and her own good sense made her, almost at once, dismiss the absurdity. Then came anew the question, utterly unanswerable now. Who could it be that did not only all her morning work, but with a passion for labor, insatiable part of that of the men also? She knew her nephew better than to imagine for a moment with the men it could be he. A good enough lad she judged him, but not good enough for that. He was too fond of his own comfort to dream of helping other people. But now, having betrayed herself to Donal, she wisely went farther, and secured herself by placing full confidence in him. She laid open the whole matter, confessing that she had imagined her ministering angel to be Donal himself. Now she had not even a conjecture to throw at random after the person of her secret servant. Donal, being a Celt and a poet, would have been a brute if he had failed of being a gentleman, and answered that he was ashamed it should be another and not himself, who had been her servant and gained her commendation. But he feared, if he had made any such attempt, he would but have fared like the husband in the old ballad, who insisted that his wife's work was much easier to do than his own. But as he spoke, he saw a sudden change come over Jean's countenance. Was it fear, or what was it? She gazed with big eyes, fixed on his face, heeding neither him nor his words, and Donal, struck silent, gazed in return. At length, after a pause of strange import, her soul seemed to return into her deep-set gray eyes, and in a broken voice, low and solemn and fraught with mystery, she said, Donal, it's the Bruni. Donald's mouth opened wide at the word, but the tenor of his thought, it would have been hard for him to determine. Celtic in kindred and education, he had listened in his time to a multitude of strange tales, both indigenous and exotic, and Celtic in blood, had been inclined to believe every one of them for which he could find the least reason d'etre. But at school he had been taught that such stories deserved nothing better than mockery, that to believe them was contrary to religion, and a mark of such weakness as involved blame. Nevertheless, when he heard the word Bruni issue from a face with such an expression as Jean's then wore, his heart seemed to give a gape in his bosom, and it rushed back upon his memory how he had heard certain old people talk. His mother did not believe such things, but she, she believed nothing but her Bible. Not once did the real Brownie occurred to him, the small, naked Gibbie, far more marvelous and admirable than any brownie of legendary fable or fact, 
whether celebrated in rude old Scots ballad for his tailless feet, or designated a noble English poem of perfect art as lubber find of Harry Lanth, Jean Maver came from a valley far withdrawn in the folds of the Garnet Mountains, where in her youth she had heard yet stranger tales than had ever come to Donald's ears, of which some had perhaps kept their hold, the more firmly that she had never heard them even alluded to since she left her home. Her brother, a hard-headed Highlander, as canny as any lowland Scot, would have laughed to scorn the most passing reference to such and Fergus, who had had a lowland mother, and nowhere is there less of so-called superstition than in most parts of the lowlands of Scotland, would have joined heartily in his mockery. For the cowherd, however, as I say, the idea had no small attraction, and his stare was the reflection of Mistress Jean's own, for the soul is a live mirror at once, receiving into its center and reflecting from its surface. "'Div ye really think it, man?' said Donald last. "'Think what?' retorted Jean sharply, jealous instantly of being compromised, and perhaps not certain that she had spoken aloud. "'Div ye really think it that is sick cratchers as Mistress Jean?' said Donald. "'Walkins, what there is, and what there is no returned Jean. "'She was not going to commit herself either way. "'Even had she imagined herself above believing such things, "'she would not have dared to say so. "'For there was a time still near in her memory, "'though unknown to any now upon the farm except her brother, "'when the mains of Glashrock was the talk of Darside "'because of certain inexplicable nightly disorders "'that fell out there.' consisting, as they did, of confused noises, rumblings, ejaculations, and the fact itself was a reason for silence. Seeing a word might bring the place again into men's mouths in like fashion, and seriously affect the service of the farm. Such a rumor would certainly be made in the market a ground for demanding more wages. You hod your tongue, laddie, she went on. It's the least ye can after at, at come and gain, and least said sunset mendant gang to your work but either mistress jean's influx of caution came too late and someone had overheard her suggestion or the idea was already abroad in the mind bucolic and georgic for that very night it began to be reported upon the nearer farms quick at disappearing as gibby was a very little cunning on the part of jean might soon have entrapped him but a considerable touch of fear was now added to her other motives for continuing to spend a couple of hours longer in bed than had formerly been her custom so that for yet a few days things went on much as usual gibbie saw no sign that his presence was suspected or that his doings were offensive and life being to him a constant present he never troubled himself about anything before it was there to answer for itself one morning the long, thick mane of Snowball was found carefully plaited, plaited up in innumerable locks. This was properly elf work, but no fairies had been heard of on Dara's side for many a long year. Who had plaited Snowball's mane? Who or what was it? A phenomenon must be accounted for, and he who will not accept a theory offered or even a word applied is indebted in a full explanation. The rumors spread in long, slow ripples, till at last one of them struck 
the membrana timpani of the laird, where he sat at luncheon in the house of Glashrock. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.